welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Patrick Howie, who is the founder and CEO of MediFind. MediFind was founded one year ago on Rare Disease Day to help patients struggling with a complex health problem. Their simple mission is to give these patients the one thing that they need most, which is time. And so Medifine does this by helping patients identify and access experts, new treatments, and available clinical trials for their specific health condition. So Patrick, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing? Hey James, thanks for having me. I'm uh, doing all right. It's a little, little warming up over here, so... Very nice. Yeah, it's warming up over here too. Not that you'd know at the moment. As usual, it's Britain, it's grey, it's overcast, and no surprises there. Yeah, well, I'm outside of Philadelphia in the States, and uh, it's been snowing for like a month straight. And then oh, really? Of course, yeah. It finally got warm, so uh, <laughs> we're, we're ho- 50 degrees here uh, Fahrenheit, so that's, that feels downright balmy. Nice, nice. After the snow, certainly. Cool. So, Patrick, the way that we begin these podcasts is I get you to tell your story. So you've obviously got a, a very interesting background to tell our listeners. So, uh, yeah, why don't you tell us all about it? Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll kind of go back before healthcare. So because it's just like most people, you have a, a winding path. You never know where it's going to end. Um, but I, I started out as a philosophy major, ironically. Um, nice. And uh, maybe more interesting than that was basically uh, the first person from my uh, family ever to go to college. Uh, and essentially I've, my, my brother and I, one of my brothers, we both uh, sort of, he was three years older, but um, we both went to college together. I, I graduated the week before him. That was always a, uh, a sore spot with him. Absolutely, uh, bragging rights right there. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> especially when he was older. Uh, but we were the first <laughs> to graduate college anywhere. My dad was a you know, steel worker, my grandfather's a steel worker. Um, and so we didn't really even know what college was. And quite frankly, I went, I ended up at uh, University of Pennsylvania, which, uh, you know, was a, a, an Ivy League school. I never even heard of it, although I was a half hour away until uh, my senior year. Uh, I, I only lived a half hour away from it, but never heard of it because college wasn't really discussed much in our family. Um, but like any uh, overly silly person, you come out of with a philosophy degree, realize you don't actually have any skills. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was hanging out Other with a friend. Other than to ponder deeply. Exactly. You know, uh, and so which gets you, doesn't, you know, doesn't even get you a cup of coffee anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it is a skill-based economy these days patrick (laughs) oh so yeah um so ironically as i once i realized i wasn't gonna be a philosophy professor that i was hanging out with a friend and they were studying energy economics and environmental economics so i literally was like oh this looks interesting maybe i'll do this that does sound very practical after the (laughs) philosophy uh it was in the same it was the same school so I, i applied get in and became an energy economist and that was the first part of my career for seven eight years uh, so focusing on oil and gas and uh, you know electric you know cars which back then were you know this is the 90s so that was um essentially a, a faint dream more than anything there was the uh, a car that was out there but kind of shut down um then uh, i was getting engaged and married and i realized that i didn't want to move to the other parts of the country where you really you know in, in Basically, if you want to be in the energy economist, you have to go to Texas or uh, maybe New York City to work in finance. Uh, so I looked around and said, well, I want to stay in Philadelphia. That's where I'm from, where my wife's from. 
what's popular in Philadelphia? And it was like credit cards or healthcare. Uh, coming from the liberal background that I have, credit cards seemed unappealing as a place that I wanted to work in terms of doing good. So I joined healthcare <laughs> uh, and ultimately made my way into sort of, uh, you know, one of the biggest healthcare companies in the world, Merck, uh, which is uh, Merck, uh, MSD in, in England. Nice. So what were you doing there? What was your role? In MSD? Mm. So yeah, I, I was heading up what's called global analytics. So my background essentially is analytics. Um, yeah, that's evolved a lot. I know it's a nice buzzword. So in the last few years, you hear data science and big data and you know machine learning and artificial intelligence. Uh, I was responsible for that on the commercial side of the business. So there's like the drug development side and then there's the sort of the marketing side. Um, so it was a great, great place to be. It's a great company. We, you know, they've obviously, you know, had the right mission, help save and improve lives. It's always good to work in a company where um, you, you believe in the mission. I know, uh, obviously, in this day and age, sometimes pharmaceutical companies get a bad rap, but um, at the end of the day, they're, they're trying to do you know, good for humanity. And it's always good to work at a company that's doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you found that that, it, sound, well, it sounds like that was a bit of a thread, right, through from... Uh previously doing philosophy and then figuring out oh, I need to do something more practical and then I need to do something more practical again. And and I think most people that think that way, especially, you know, driven by impact and things and, or at least energized by it, do seem to end up in healthcare and particularly as healthcare entrepreneurs. So it sounds like that might be something that was a bit of a thread through your career. Well, there's definitely a thread where uh, I hate to say it, I was kind of always coming from philosophy, sort of kind of believe capitalism was sort of evil, quite frankly, you kind of grow up like hating that, uh, but you're, you know, back to college, uh, I don't know how well your listeners know, but sort of Penn, Wharton is like the business school at Penn. It's like one of the sort of best sure. in the world. It's very dominated, like that, that kind of dominates the school. So my two roommates were from Wharton, very, everyone was there. They just want to get rich. Like not everyone, but it's a very sort of the uh, objective of a lot of people is to sort of just to, to make money. And I, and I was never really, I was never focused on that. Like I could never just most people want to go to Wall Street and sort of make money. I, could, I couldn't get myself there. So I always had to be in an area that I truly believed in. Uh, I think, James, you understand that as well. Absolutely. Uh, versus just going after the money. Uh, so I, that's why, you know, environmental economics and energy economics seemed like doing a good, you know, you're trying to help the world. And this is back in the 90s. Um, and then said healthcare, you clearly are trying to help the world. So I, I've never been able to, to work on something that I didn't believe had a bigger purpose than myself. <laughs> Oh, good for you. And I, th I think that's, as I say, it's a thread of something that runs through pretty much every podcast guest, right? And they, they always seek that, that um, just making that difference. And, and ultimately, if they can start a company, they will start a company. And, and that's, I suppose, why they end up here. It's interesting, though, what you say about capitalism and feelings towards it when, when doing philosophy. You know, it's I'm from a, a ground floor frontline healthcare world, right? Where I think, and this is interesting ground to cover on this, but you know, you, you see in a hospital, well, you learn very quickly that in hospital, they're not full of rich people, hospitals, uh, particularly not emergency departments, particularly not, you know, that kind of real coal face of, of people getting unwell and staying unwell and returning unwell and, that side of things. And I think you end up seeing a, a sort of a level of society that 
a lot of people with middle-class backgrounds perhaps don't see, you know, you, I would tell stories to my friends that were bankers when I was uh, in, in A&E, you know, the emergency department and it would horrify them that they wouldn't even believe it was real. Like some of the stuff that you talk about that, you know, people that would come in homeless and what they'd done to themselves and each other and how they actually lived. And, you know, not that, not that capitalism is evil, I suppose in its purest form, but like it, it, you can fall susceptible to an opinion of it. And you're, you're certainly more open to left-wing philosophy when you when you don't see the equity in society where i think you know and i'm watching my words carefully here whereas i think others perhaps don't have that education to perhaps see it and i think that's that's where you know i consider myself very central like generally in everything that i've seen and done in my life i think that's where i've ended up but i can see both sides in most things but yeah, I, I get I get it and I, I totally understand it. Um it's funny, like even when I was that age, people always say, Oh, you'll move further to the right when you get older, but <laughs> anyway, dodgy well, ground. I know. Like how far have I moved? When I when I went to grad you go to grad school, it's basically it was economics. That was really you know, it said it was focused on energy and environmental issues, but you're essentially doing economics and there it is indoctrinated that essentially free market is the the way to go. So I, you know, I'm sure I've moved to the right. I think I've ever since then I've been very left, you know, sort of socially, but sure. probably to the right economically. Uh, yeah. Uh, although I questioned it, but you know, you kind of get indoctrinated, free market, free market. <laughs> uh, so in the U.S. versus you know in England, right? There's healthcare is radically different. Uh, it's a huge, and I don't, I don't know if I have a clear opinion which one I think is better. I, <laughs> it's it's a very 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 good point and i don't i don't know either because you know you again you can form opinions very quickly and bear, and bear in mind right so i i write for forbes as a, as a contributor and so i i contribute articles to forbes and so i often try not to take a view but i try and get as much information as as, as possible but this is another thing right where yeah i understand how people are incentivized to write headlines the way they do i understand people are incentivized to remove as much context as possible so that you can form a really strong view and opinion and i get why certain publications will do that i understand it and so i now i'm at a point in my life now where i really struggle to uh to trust the information that gets to me because I question everything. I question who's written it, what publication for, why have they written it? What's their angle? Why would it be their angle? And so I have to get my information now. I would straying very far from healthcare, but like I have to get my information from so many different places for me to even trust what I'm actually reading. It's, um, yeah, I, I suppose part of that is maybe it's getting older. Maybe it's, it's getting just, old, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think so. I think so. And, and also, yeah, I notice as I do get older that my diplomacy is getting better. That I'm just like, ah, oh, well, maybe maybe this, or maybe they're maybe they're that, or maybe that. You kind of find a reason for everything. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, you Trump was a troubled that. child, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like, well, that's uh, I was going to get you triangulate. You try to look at multiple sources to triangulate sort of what you think the truth is, uh, but. What I'd like to think uh, is, as you get older, you are less convinced of your opinions. Uh, so I, yes, I have a lot I of like conversations that. with my sons, where my son and daughters, like maybe the you know the one thing with philosophy is like you get really good at 
you know, you read something and you're like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. And then you read something else that's the exact opposite. You're like, wait a minute, they both convinced me. So how could that? So uh, you start to realize that like there's a good argument is uh, not sufficient to be truth. And uh, as you get older, you just realize that uh, like the, the people who are so confident, they, they the, the more certain someone is or something is, the less confident I am in them because if they don't recognize the uncertainty of their position or like why you could take the opposite side. Yes. They probably haven't thought through it as yes. well as I would like. <laughs> I really like that. I actually went out of my way to find intelligent right-wing commentators so that I could actually understand from an, from a, because all I was getting was the sort of inner bubble liberal, like anyone that even thinks slightly conservative is evil and should be shouted at. So I actually went out of my way to try and find these types of people to actually listen to what actually is the intelligent argument of that side. And you're right. You go through this sort of existential crisis of being like, hold on a minute. <laughs> that made a lot of sense there. <laughs> that, that wasn't meant to happen. <laughs> Where do I sit now? So that's why I call myself central because I can appreciate arguments on both sides. Right. Yeah. And when you're like, there's a really smart person who believes that, and there's, you know, there's a really smart person who believes the opposite. So they both have good reasons. So we shouldn't yeah. discount both of them. Like, so I, I don't know what the right answer is, but you can recognizing you know, just taking a position and not recognizing the yeah. opposite side is probably doing yourself a disservice, but yeah, I get it. I get it. So that's what happens when you get old. Everything becomes gray. <laughs> <laughs> far less or far more interesting. I don't know. But anyway, we should probably talk about some health tech, right? Sure. Um, tell me about Medifine because what you're doing in rare diseases is obviously really cool, really valuable, really helpful to rare disease patients. Tell me about going from the, uh, when did you get the idea? Let's go from idea to reality. Plot that for me. All right. So uh, while I was at uh, MSD, it's Merck in the U.S., uh, I happened to be as a part of leading analytics. I also happened to have this unique situation where uh, I was running a company that Merck owned, but Merck had bought them 20 years ago and had never brought them into in-house. It was the only situation like this. Uh, and what they did is a certain type of analytics. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, sort of just the unique analytics where they go through all the literature and in, in scientific biomedical literature and go through like sort of all the analytics. Um, so it's just that's a precursor setup. So, uh, while I was at Mark, my brother, one of my actually the brother, the one who graduated. So he was uh, struggling with a rare disease and he was about four years into his journey. Uh, we had been throughout the world like we actually went to mm. switzerland to get i went with him to get a treatment in switzerland that didn't exist in the u.s wow uh, so like that was it you know, we'd been uh, like all parts of the u.s like you know down south and yeah. you know, out to california so uh we had spent a lot of time throughout that four years like sort of just trying to you know do the best he can for for his illness and uh, we were at brunch one time and he was literally like literally like dude i'm running out of options any ideas like, all right, well, you know, after sort of gasping for, you know, like, oh, shit, like, we're at that stage, huh? Um, I'm like, I'm not a doctor, but I'm, you know, sort of thinking, like, well, wait a minute. We, I'm sitting on top of, like, you know, one of the most powerful analytic tools in the world. Like, you know, I have all this data, and it's in the bio, you know, the medical space. Maybe we could use our tools to help him find an expert that he hasn't found yet. So like that weekend, <laughs> like hmm. uh, I'm like, you know, uh, sort of, I don't do as much coding, but was coding, going through the analysis and sort of ran his disease. And I was like, holy sh you know, wow, I was about to curse. I was like, wow, there's like, uh, you know, over the four years, we've, there's three segments of doctors in, in his 
uh, space. We've eventually found our way to doctors in two of those sort of segments, but never the third. Right. Uh, so that was the number one goal is, hey, we got to get to this. There's a doctor out in D.C. They seem to be connected to a whole different part of the community. Uh, we got to get there. Uh, but it also stood out was like, man, why did it take us so long to find this expert in New York City? Uh, we, took, we didn't find her for three and a half years. Like, uh, she's right there. Like, it's obvious she's an expert. Uh, why did we learn about the treatment that we went to Switzerland for, you know, after a year? And, and you know, and there's other treatment we just learned about. So how could four years in, uh, despite sort of going through everything on, on Google and the Internet and talking to fake different groups, we're still learning stuff. So it was just that kind of just sat in the back of my mind. Uh, but the purpose at the time was, hey, we got to get to this doctor. Truth is, he passed away about two weeks after that conversation. So oh, I was wow. like, God damn. Um, like a year later, I'm at some conference and some uh, Silicon Valley you know, company is presenting and they're all sort of, hey, we just raised $20 million and we're going to get patients to the right doctors. And as they kind of alluded to how they're doing it, I'm like, I was like, they're doing it wrong. Hmm. They, it seems right. Like, for someone who isn't deeply entrenched in the data, that seems to be the right way to go, but it's not. And I was like, they're going to send patients to the wrong doctors. And I, I get pissed. So, you know, I literally went, you know, classic hotel room, like, you know, that little pad and those are like, here's what like patients like my brother need. You need to know who the experts are. You need to make sure you, you're aware of any new treatments and ultimately need to connect to other patients. Mm-hmm. Um, that last part we haven't gotten to yet on Metafine. I went back to Merck and it's like, Every day we talk about, um, I turn my computer on, it says we're here to save and improve lives. We always think about that through medications. We have the opportunity to do it through data analytics. And I feel it's incumbent on us and our, you know, it's our mission. And honestly, there, you know, the president of our, my company was like, all right, go figure it out. <laughs> so like kind of on the side, uh, we were sort of building this capability, not just for my brother's disease. That was key. It's like, mm-hmm. it has to be for every disease and it has to be, you know, um, like just from a point, it has to be for anyone like freely available. Like I don't want it to be like an employee benefit or something that only like the wealthier people can get access to. Uh, so we spent a few years building out the, the capability. And I, you know, it, that was by itself was tough because uh, you know, it's not out into the world, but you're looking at the result, like, no, it's gotta be better. Like we, you know, nothing's perfect, but our threshold has to be really high. Like we can't be sending patients to wrong doctors. Um, eventually we figured out in a year and a half ago, you come back, the new, we had a new president, the old one sort of, uh, eventually moved on. I gave the same story to the new president and he was like, Hey, all right, let's turn it on. Uh, if you've ever dealt with, uh, you know, healthcare, the first thing you gotta do is go to legal. Uh, and then we kind of know how that ends because legal was like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. pharma companies can't be involved in this. Like we're, it looks like we're trying to drive patients to our doctors. So we can't be involved. Uh, so essentially that, you know, I had two options. It was either just let it go or spin it out. <laughs> so I was like, it's too important to me to, to walk away from. Uh, so if I have to leave Merck to do it, I'll do it. And so we spun it out and we, we, we literally, I left Merck on February 28th of last year and we turned it on on February 29th, which was rare disease day wow. a year ago. And that's the, if the, maybe the, the best part about it is it's, it was a leap year. So it's, the rarest of rare disease. <laughs> very fitting, very on brand, very nice. <laughs> now, I, I should admit, I didn't, that wasn't actually planned. So <laughs> when I when I planned to leave, it was like, I just, I just want to get out and make it happen. So we kind of landed on a date on February 28th. Yeah. Like they were originally saying stay longer. I'm like, no, I can't. And then like two weeks before I was leaving, like, wait a minute, 
rare disease day. It's like <laughs> the first day after. So wow. it was a happy coincidence more than a, you know, this overly designed sort of very fortunate plan, I timing. To, I hate to admit. <laughs> so my question is when it comes to the product then, what data are you analyzing? And I suppose how, what are the outputs of that that then solve the problems you're talking about? Uh, so it's a lot of data, but I can, you can bucket into a, a few categories. So the first is all publications in the health space uh, and all quality publications. So the good news is there's like, there's a database, uh, it's called PubMed. It's, you know, it's PubMed Central in Europe um, that essentially it weeds out all the low level mm-hmm. um, healthcare publications and only includes the good ones. So we absorb- High impact factor, I believe is the- or yeah, or even or just legit, like not the like you know pay <laughs> pay for publication type, um, you know Fair. journal. So it has all the high impact and even probably maybe some not so high impact, but legitimate sure. publication. Sure. Okay, so we go through all everything. We literally digest that whole database every couple of weeks. Hmm. We digest um, everything in the clinical trials database. Uh, we digest uh, conference presentations as much as we can. There's you know. Um, uh, it's we don't have you don't have 100% there, but again, most of the the more prestigious conferences, and then in the U.S. we actually have um, actual claims data. So what patient, what actual treatments are being used, and what type of patients are being treated. Uh, we go through a few steps here. The first is we have to merge those, and that's this is what is like surprisingly hard. Is Doctor Smith in database over here, Jay Smith in this database, and Jay Smith in that database? Is that the same person? They're not, you know, they're not actually, um, they're, they don't have a unique identifiers that map. We had to build that um, mechanism across all these different data sources. Um, and then, so for that, at that point, uh, you know, then the task is essentially who's an expert in whatever disease. That's actually not that hard, quite frankly, but um, it, what, if you, the easy way to think about it is the old Google um, page rank. If you just map the network, you see these people who sit at the centers and everyone goes to them, they're the experts. Uh, now, you know, for, we also know it, that the experts are people who, you know, publish, you know, are publish, you know, some are connected to other experts. Uh, and as in the U.S., we can validate that with and they treat patients like we know that they're treating those those patients. So uh, expertise is people who are very well connected to that specific industry. And so that was our that's our first goal out of the gate is make, if, if you have a disease, like just get to an expert. Like here's one of the asides uh, with my brother, we were downtown and we were at a health system and um, he, my brother, he had already had this issue where uh, he wasn't treated correctly. And we literally, thank God we had called uh, an, an expert far away. And so I'll step back. Uh, halfway through his journey, my brother was crashing, having a bunch of, you know, health problems and, you know, it was like, literally like you know everything was out of whack he's you know uh, kind of delirious and and the hospital was like you know what go home there's nothing else we can do for you we uh luckily called a an expert in this his specific disease it's what i want to talk about coincidence someone who i worked with his father-in-law <laughs> was like the grand the godfather of, wow. of that disease That's and amazing. he's purely coincidence um and we called the, the, this person. He's like, no, no, no. He needs what's called the Denver shunt. Let me talk to the doctors. Talks to the doctors. They put the, he convinces the local doctors, put it in, puts it in. My brother recovers and lives two more years. Wow. So you're like, wow. That's like, 
that stood with me is how, how, you know, if we didn't make that call, he would have lost two years of life. Like they literally said, go home. There's nothing we can do for you. Um, so, t- you know, a year and a half later, we're back in, he's having a, another situation. And I happened to go to the, the a different doctor. It's like, you know, I'm, I apologize in advance if I'm going to ask you a lot of questions, but uh, we've realized that we need to be very close to the treatment decisions they're making for, for him. And the, the doctor, you know, relatively young goes, oh, don't you worry. I, I've dealt with like five patients who've had his disease. I, I got this. And coming back from my statistical background, if anyone, you know, you, you instinct says, if you have anything less than 30 using your old statistics, you don't have a, a, a random, you know, you have a, yeah. you don't have a proper sample. And to think that five is sufficient was scary. So the, the overconfidence that um, you can run into with, with doctors who think they can handle a rare disease. I mean, doctors are experts. I'm not trying to knock doctors. Like they're doing God's work. Um, but there's thousands of diseases. And they there's can. only so much that a human yes. can do. Like, I think yeah. it's interesting that we're learning that now with <laughs> AI and processing power and, and everything that, you know, doctors are going for or any clinician really is going from this model of being a repository of information to someone that actually can just access that in the right way. And it's a good example yeah. of it. Yeah. So uh, they're doing God's work, but uh, they, they, you know, some recognize they don't, they can't know everything and some have come to that realization slowly you yeah. know, later in your career. Right. Um, so our goal is just, if you have a, a, a tougher disease, make sure you get to an expert because your outcomes will be better. Um, and then it's also our next goals are make sure you're aware of all your treatment options, because even experts, they don't always agree. They don't always tell you everything, right? They may forget or just, you know, say, here's what we recommend. Uh, and you go to another expert and they might rec- recommend something else. So you have to kind of make your own choice as to what is the best option for you. Mm. Uh, uh, and so, and making sure you're aware of every option. So our, you know, our second goal is um, consolidating what, what's ever, what's the treatments that are out there that have either been approved are being, you know, tested right now, or just some random doctor has just tried with a couple patients. Um, I, my, my other story, and then I'll, I know I've been talking a lot in this little segment is I had a, connected to a guy who had this even more rare disease. And uh, basically there was a, he got onto a treatment uh, that basically saved his life. Like he was considered terminal. And, uh, and then he called me up at, you know, he's like, oh my God, I just met with this doctor and there's this treatment that I'm not terminal anymore. And I was like, wow. Like, and he was just like, I met him as we were building out uh, Metafine. Uh, and essentially what was kind of sad was he didn't, it took him 18 months to find out about that treatment. Although the, you know, from the time it was published, <laughs> it was, there was a publication about it, but he, you know, even though he's still like, again, an intelligent guy working through the network, he didn't know that treatment and he lost 18 months. So the amount of progression of his disease is like, it's brutal lung disease was horrible. Like he's, he actually just had to have like lung transplants, uh, because he progressed so far, if he had known of that 18 months prior, uh, he probably would have had no, like been just completely normal at this point. So our second goal is also to make sure you're aware of all the treatment options you might have. Yeah. Do you know what's interesting for me? You know, I've stepped out of medicine for a while now and, and the world has certainly gone on in the last, you know, five, six, seven years, like technology wise, it might seem staggering to people because it, it almost feels that way to me, even though I get it, but it might seem staggering to people that once you're diagnosed with a rare disease, you might not actually be connected to the experts in the field 
that know all of the treatments. You might just be with someone who doesn't know all of those things are options because that information is not spread around the community like people who aren't from healthcare might think. It's not as if the latest evidence and guidance and trials as you as you guys do and those types of things are just easily disseminated information to everybody and you just sort of you know get your weekly download of like what's new in the red like and then all of a sudden you're an updated clinician and then you can treat everyone in your area like that's the way you'd expect it to be in the modern world almost and it's it is kind of frightening that isn't the case i actually heard um i was on what was i i was speaking to somebody anyway on his wife's he's actually the founder of a biotech company now for largely these reasons but his wife is a teacher and a kid in her class 15 year old uh, had leukemia and basically lost their life but didn't have to but there was because there was a treatment available it just wasn't a treatment that was very well known it just wasn't something that it wasn't a trial that everybody knew about that this poor child could have been part of. And, it, and you know, he found out a bit too late. And, and like, it's it's crazy. And it was Carty and Kim Raya and, and yeah. that type of stuff. Like, it it seems strange to me, for me now to, to, to think that, how is that still the case? It's just too much information. Yeah. Right? It's like, there's so much that's going so fast. Uh, like, what's my best analogy? So... Uh, I think there's an analogy like chess. So, you know, there, I, there's two parts. There's two analogies here. The first is finding, you know, talking to your doctor. You, you go to a doctor and uh, even if you, you know, you might think they're doing, they made a choice. As far as you know, it's great, right? Like you, they're the expert to you. Uh, that's equivalent to watching a chess match and watching a move and rating, oh, this person's an expert in, in this. Okay. I can't, I can't rate that at that level of expertise. But the reality is in chess, there's like, you know, let's go openings. There's like a, you know, a thousand openings. Even the ex, even the experts are not experts in all of those openings, right? I get, they probably are, but there's some that they're better at. So you don't want to play sure. Kasparov in the uh, Sicilian, right? He's gonna, <laughs> he's gonna crush you. But you know, so you know, but if you want, if you want to play Sicilian, you know, he's the guy. It's the same thing. Like if you want, if you have this disease, there's some people who just live their life with that disease and know all the treatments, all the nuances, and are just, you know, it's it, there's only so much information any one person can absorb. Uh, so. Uh, and some people, you know, it's just not possible for doctors to be aware of yeah. all of that. To- and stay on top of, right? And I think it's like yeah. you said, possible. obviously part of the, the Medifined data analytics algorithm, whatever you want to call it, let's throw AI, don't know, but let's, let's <laughs> go there later, maybe. Um, whatever you want to call it, part of that, as you say, is staying on top of conferences, uh, papers, the leaders in the field, the, the centers of those communities of practice and what they are saying and doing. And like a lot of, a lot of that is aggregated, obviously. And I think that's, that's part of the value here, that aggregation of up-to-date information that is being um, explained and presented and is going out there from these minimum experts. But as we know, like not, every clinician is going to go to the conference where they see that major clinician. So why, why don't we turn to technology? So surely this is around the U S now, right? Everyone, 
everyone's using Medifine, surely. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> We're still getting the word out. Uh, it's funny. That's one of the things we've learned is uh, how people learn about things on Google uh, is different than maybe how we how we thought people would learn about things on you know from like yes. search so there's a lot of like blocking and tackling we've had to do over the last year to uh, adjust what we've what we do so it can be properly recognized in like search which is how everyone starts that's mm -hmm. one of the challenges with diseases is you don't you don't you don't care about it until you have it <laughs> so you know it's like you're not thinking about it you don't it's hard you know, then you're just kind of scrambling and there mm -hmm. is a lot of information out there so you know i've been challenged with how oh, well we, it's there's information out there it is but sifting through it and getting there quickly and you alluded to that it's like so that's what we're giving is time if you want to spend a lot of time you can find yeah. this stuff but you'll you'll end up uh you know go, going down the wrong hole or spending Every month, like my brother's wife, God bless her more than, than him, right? We also, you know, the care, it's usually the caregiver, not the patient who, you know, every month is like, is there something else? Am I missing something? They start Google, they go down a rabbit hole every, every few weeks uh, because you get scared you're missing something. Mm. So it's out there. Yeah. Our, our job, that's why it's time. Yeah. It's like, we want to get you that answer ASAP. You, know, you find that doctor as quickly as possible. You're aware of that new treatment as quickly as possible because uh, time is, you know, when you have, you know, just about any disease, that's, most important thing well indeed one thing with rare disease day i know the guys at mendelian quite well so they do the bit arguably just before you in the chain which is that they will help primary care organizations to diagnose the disease by looking at their data of their patients and symptoms and helping with that diagnosis bit i think one thing that is really interesting here like you say it's, a, it's only an issue once you have it so individually rare diseases it's difficult to fit a business model around a rare disease. You know, if there's only four cases of it globally, like what's the value in creating a drug for it and all, all those things. But one thing that I have learned in speaking to the, the Mendelian guys is the long tail of rare diseases is extremely long. And as a collection, ironically, they're extremely common. Yep. And I think that yeah, accumulation, yep, exactly, exactly. So collectively, rare diseases are actually quite common, and I think that is is one thing that I've definitely learned, which is that the amount of people that either don't get a diagnosis, don't get the right treatment, don't get the up to date treatment for one disease. If you're only ever talking about it in one disease, like yeah, it's not going to sound like a big deal. However aggregated as you say this turns into an enormous problem the amount of people that must just have like febrile unknown cause tapping 10 times don't know or they get not a diagnosis and then it's like treatment wise yeah we'll just symptom control we'll just yeah we'll just do that and it turns out there was this treatment that they could have had you know at scale, that is absolutely enormous and I think just for the listeners here like I just want to make that point really clear that with rare disease day coming up it's a good time although this will go out afterwards but it is a good time to make this point that the, the rare disease community uh, are trying to do this for so 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 many people and i just would like to make the point to everyone that rare diseases aren't rare they're, they're absolutely not they are common as a collective and it is a community of people that are doing incredible work to try and get this this stuff done not least through technology like yourself um 
have you had or seen? I mean, you're only a year old, right? As a company, I mean, what wins have you got? Have you been? Have, do you track that? Do you do you track the the wins that have that have come from um, what you're doing? Uh, yes. So I guess there's wins from uh, wins from people who've given us like sort of you know when you get quotes. That's nice. Uh, so the reality is, you know, we haven't gotten, we're not where we want to be in terms of awareness, but when sure. people have used it, like literally we got a quote, like we, we released this new tool last week, uh, a couple of days ago about uh, using AI <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, to yeah. shift, to help you find clinical trials. Uh, and it was like, wow, you know, we got a, a secondhand quote from someone uh, to, you know, who's like, it was like, yeah, this is uh, unbelievable we've been you know i wish i had this seven years ago we've been trying you know like this is such a huge need uh we have multiple quotes like that and you get patients like you know we just turned on this little sort of give us feedback thing and patients were like oh no I, no i'm you know like we're, we turned on hey how can we do better and like no i just want to say thanks what you're doing is great um so when you get those things that's the, they're the best wins yeah uh, we've also won some you know like been nominated for some awards for AI and startup like those are like they're nice like obviously they <laughs> like they make you feel good but like the you know um the real wins are sort of when patients truly see it and use yeah. it um, yeah. and it sounds cheesy right but at the end of the day like I I I get it like that is so incredibly motivating I mean I get it in a small way just when someone's like oh I listened to this podcast and I had this idea and now we've raised a bit of money and just want to say thanks it's like it's so incredibly motivating knowing that what you've built has actually served a purpose in the world, like to actual human beings. And for you guys, I suppose, obviously you've got a personal experience of it. So you can just go in your mind straight away to a family that's like able to spend another year. But like, I mean, that's just incredible, right? It's, it's so, it's so like fueling when you, when you get that feedback, which is awesome. Um, and who, out of interest. So who's the, who's the customer when it comes to this? The mission today is, to empower patients. Uh, so it's, so it does have to be a patient who cares enough to engage versus, you know, if you're just going to go to your doctor and, and listen to your doctor, I got, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but obviously a lot of patients are much more proactive now than, sure. they, you know, than they were 20 years ago. So it's the patient who wants to be informed or, um, got it. you know, take control of their, um, treatment paradigm a little bit because going back a little bit a lot of times you find that there's a lot of research and you can see if you you've been diagnosed when you go to an expert they may tell you no no, no that's not what you have <laughs> which is actually equally important to Indeed. to to roll out a diagnosis and that actually happens like a third of the time or some wow it actually i know diagnoses get revised like 70 percent of the time but um when you get completely changed it happens a lot as well so i know that's an aside but it's it's patients our our goal is help patients that's our number one goal and yeah it's really easy for me to like um get up in the morning right and do this because it's like ironically my brother's an english teacher so when i gave his eulogy like i started with like a somehow it was a joke somehow like yeah every cloud of silver lining was and i'm like yeah i know he'd hate me for starting with like you know a cliche Uh, (laughs) you know i don't think it was planned to be a joke but it was Uh, ironically, this is the silver lining. It's like, all right, I get worst case scenario, I get to work on something that I care about. I'll, yeah. I'll spend the next 20 years of my life doing this out of, you know, passion. Yeah. Uh, so there's awesome. at least a silver lining there that you could help people with it. Um, awesome. uh, you know, and it's nothing we talked about, you know, kind of before this, like working on something you care about. It, yeah. You know, that's, that matters a lot. <laughs> it, it, it does. I, I come back to this thing again, like getting older and 
having a bit more choice as to what I focus on. I am just drawn to the bits which fuel me, which give me more energy back. And that's why like this podcast, like I'm doing more episodes a week now and that's the type of stuff because I do end up having these conversations. And when you say things like, yeah, we're doing this amazing thing, like, and we're not quite where we are with awareness right now, like 25% of our listeners and we get about 10,000 a month are in the US. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed, somebody yes. listens <laughs> to this, right? Whether that's a patient, whether that's, I mean, cause you must, you, I mean, you must engage with the clinicians as well, right? In terms of, well, you must know who the best ones are. Let's put it that way. Well, we, we know who they are. So I can tell you, yeah, our dream, um, like, or like where I consider sort of North Star um, is to get to the point where, you, you know, if you, if, if you have it, just get diagnosed for any time through a journey. Uh, there are multiple critical times where you're like, God, I, I just, want, I need to talk to another doctor, I, you know? And so I'd love to say, here's a doctor that's, you know, here, here's an expert. Uh, and we actually have this concept of a unique expert. Uh, where it's like, here's someone who's more likely to give you a different view of the world, and they're still an expert. Um, get, get you an appointment and get your records there, like, quickly. Like, that's mm. the dream is to just um, make it happen so uh, you don't lose time, uh, it, which, again, like I said, is multiple decision points. So in order to get there, we haven't really, I've spoken a little bit with some local organizations. We haven't really focused on that yet. The reality sure. is, um, it, it's as simple as once, once our, with the patients once they hit a critical mass then they want to you know they're going to be much more willing you know interested in engaging yeah, with us <laughs> quite frankly <Understood. laughs> and we're getting i think we're getting close quite frankly <laughs> nice how many diseases do you do this across because i imagine the the analytics must be must be condition specific right with the amount of sort of inputs that you've got to it's, throw in there uh oh man the other so the two you know sort of war stories of development uh, <laughs> the first the first was sort of what we call disambiguation is this are the two doctors, is this John Smith the same as that John Smith? Ah, uh, right. Um, the other is defining a disease. And it's, you know, we've, um, there is no, there is no single agreed upon list of disease definitions. It's constantly moving. You have what's called parent-child relationships. So like, is the right thing, is it, you know, HER2 positive breast cancer? Is it, you know, this with, with a mutation? Like what's the level of the right disease? Uh, we, like we've mapped every disease that we could find probably like seven to 10,000 of them. Like there's 7,000. We we've aggregated that to where we're reporting about 3,300 on the database because we felt that um, at, at least right now, like where we're mostly helping is sort of the doctor level. Um, you don't need, you, know, you want a, you want an expert in at some level of refinement. Like the, the, the difference, there's not an expert in 10,000 diseases. Yeah. If you're, you're going to be an expert, if you're at sort of triple negative breast cancer, uh, you know, you're going to be an expert in all the mutations. Um, so, but it's a challenge because sometimes you're like, well, I'm looking for a, a clinical trial. I'm look, I have the mutation. I want a, a trial with that mutation or I want a treatment with that. So it's, it's a challenge, but uh, defining those diseases required us to, you know, define them in the literature, define them in the, you know, the, what's called the claims databases. And, and, you know, they're always like, the terminology isn't always consistent. So we had to find like the right sort of terminology. So we've created our own, um, we call it MetaRex, but like this backbone reference database that was made by hand over wow. a couple of years, but, you know, using nurses and um, 
uh, uh, library like expert, you know, what it, I'm forgetting the name to, <laughs> to sort of map this together. And it, it took forever to, to build it. We, we were again wow. using what we thought there's a, there's a, a similar database out there that was supposedly doctor language. And we used that at first. And after, I don't know how long we realized that was part of the reason our results weren't right is that thing wasn't built right. So we had to build our own from scratch. It was quite a, an effort. <laughs> I'm not an expert on the technology side of things, but obviously having a very strong foundation is very important and uh, cracks in the foundation show themselves later oh. on, right? Yeah, we ha- yeah. There's, you know, when, I, when I think of the, those times, we're just like, why isn't this working? And you're like, mm. it should. You know, and everything about this looks right. And then you find that, you know, I said, it's like you're, one of your reference sources is wrong. And you're like, oh my God, like we have to go. Get that. <laughs> <laughs> Heart sink moment. Um, I can't believe we've almost run out of time. It's gone so quickly. Um, I, I have a question though. So at the moment, what given, given our audience, right? So we've obviously got listeners all around the world, particularly in the US um, and obviously the UK. What are, you, what are you looking for in terms of people you're looking to connect with? ways you're looking to get this out there and make impact what is it that you w- would potentially want from our audience oh uh well <laughs> that's easy I-, I actually would love feedback more than anything so um we think of our timeline you know a lot of this was built in a vacuum inside of a, a big company where we weren't allowed to go talk to patients because of like legal issues then we come out and all of a sudden two weeks literally two weeks after i leave I, we get locked down for covid so um <laughs> like uh, we haven't we I want sort of, I'd love for people to go on and say here, if you could build this, I would be forever happy. Like I, I have in my own head what I what we want to build, but I want to make sure that, you know, I, I, you know, and I feel it's pretty good on target. Um, of course I want people to use it now, but also tell us what, how we can get better. Cause we, you know, we've just, we've started getting feedback and like, and you see little things like, ah, I didn't even think of that. And like, you know, like we should have a little, some of it's small. Like we have a, we need a little button. They don't realize that like what's here. So we need to put a little button here or they're like, you know, I'm looking for the phone number of this doctor. I'm like, all right, you know what? We have phone numbers for 70% of them. Maybe we should go get, get it to hundred percent. Cause you know, that's the next action they want to take. But you know, is there something missing? We had someone saying, I, I was using, you know, can you give me the, you know, something with the, with this mutation? And I was like, all right, well, we don't, you know, we've made a decision why we don't report that, but they want it. So how do we, how do we provide the information that they're thinking for their, their specific situation? And the more of these points we get, like we can solve it. Um, Mm. Like I know the data, we know the data, we know, like some of them are harder than others, but people, if you go on and it's not just rare diseases, it's every disease, but if you, if you have disease, go on, tell us, like, use it, please. Like we want you to use it for free. Like it's not, um, uh, and get benefit from it. But if you, if there's something that you see that said, God, I wish I had this, that's the hardest question for, to, for people to answer. <laughs> um, but please, we have a little feedback. We just, we started the feedback thing. Tell us we have, we awesome. started doing live chats. Anyone want to talk to us like for you know, half, half of the day, we want, I want to talk to patients to, to um, that's actually what I do at lunch. Uh, three oh, days awesome. <laughs> Is I just want to hear to make sure that we're getting true feedback of the right need because it's obviously it was originally guided by um yeah my scrawling on the hotel like napkin absolutely Um, (laughs) but like you know it's gotta you know i we gotta make sure we're taking care of all the nuances and not just my own sort of slice of the world amazing so for people that want to find that where can they find it and find you 
So it's medifine.com, M-E-D-I-F-I-N-D, Medifine. Nice and easy. Uh, boy, the whole naming was a, a whole nother story for another day. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, uh, it's, you know, it's only in English language. So that's luckily that covers, uh, covers uh, hopefully most of your audience as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it, it's, it's a global database. Obviously, sometimes the data in the U.S. is a little better. GDPR restrictions um, make some nuances uh, <laughs> in, in Europe. But we cover, the, you know, every country pretty much every disease we're, we're trying to help everybody <laughs> awesome um patrick it's been absolutely a pleasure having you on thank you for sharing that about your brother and everything that you're up to um obviously your your mission is well extremely noble and i, th- I think you're obviously going to do incredible work and you already are and the more of those patient stories that we can hear that you know people have been connected to a clinician that knows their stuff they've had their treatment changed or you know anything along those lines to to help them then yeah, that makes us all feel warm inside, mate. So, uh, yeah, definitely get your PR on point when you're doing all that. That would be great. <laughs> we need some good new stories in 2021, oh, honestly. I know, right? <laughs> but, yeah, as I say, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Look forward to catching up in future. James, thanks, man. I really uh, had a great time here, and thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.